Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Uh, we're recording on a Friday night after the Hawks defeated the Boston Celtics. Uh, Glenn, what's wrong with the Hawks? Wait, oh, oh that's, <laughs> that's muscle memory at this point, right? We got to retrain ourselves to start our podcast differently. Yeah, uh, that okay. So for starters, here that did not seem like a normal regular season game for me. That like both teams, like Boston included, brought brought some juice to that. I thought. Yeah, I mean for sure. I I, I thought that that was one of the more physical games I've seen, and they were really physical with Trey. Uh, you know, the whole game. It was interesting to see Trey struggle offense offensively, and that they got basically. Uh, no offense from their centers between Capella and Congo, so it all really kind of had to come through the two, three, and four. Um, but yeah, it, it was an interesting. It, it was an interesting game, not your normal kind of just run of the mill. These are two teams that are a little bit desperate, maybe about where they are in the standings here past the midpoint of the season. So that was an interesting one for sure. What well, what? is different about the Hawks. I mean, clearly the bench is different, but I mean, it's the, they're a lot of the same people. <laughs> right. I mean, Lou, Lou, uh, you know, he's had a, a couple of weeks now where he's looked different. Certainly Gallinari looks uh, like a piece that fits a whole lot better, but is it just, is it just, I mean, is it just a Kongwu in a lot of cases? Just the fact that, you know, the, the defense can be so much better when you've got your top defensive piece for the bench in there. You get more stops, you get a better rhythm on offense. Is it just kind of that whole offense-defense continuum starting with Onyeka being able to kind of pin things up on the defensive end? Well, I would mix Hunter in there too. I mean, to, to have those two guys able to take on those kind of premium defensive roles – um, keep some guys that really aren't uh, suited for that. You don't have, for example, now Bogdanovich, you know, guarding one of the two best, you know, perimeter players on the other team for most of the game, which we saw like a well, month ago. It was kind of an exception tonight though, right? He did do some of that? He, he did, but I, uh, that was, um, I think, based upon how they wanted to switch, which we can kind of, I think, kind of get to. I think, I assume, I imagine we'll get to that. But yeah, I really do think it's having – it starts with the defense having Capella, Connor, and Akongu all available to kind of uh, kind of fit them into rotation as needed, depending on uh, the matchup. And you know when I, you know we'll recall you know that amazing offensive game Trey had in Portland. The Hawks lost that game, and the defense was as bad as it's been in a long time during that stretch. And when you're a team that has no confidence that you can get a stop when you need one, that you can get a you know, consecutive stops when you really need them. You're, you know, late in the game, you're down a couple of, you know, possessions and, and such. And now they just look like a team that knows like, Hey, we, we can, we can uh, get what we need on defensive end too now. And that takes a lot of pressure off offensively. You're not, um, you know, feeling the pressure to have to make every shot you put up down the stretch in the fourth quarter or what have you. And, and stuff you can, um, try to make a, a big play. You know, Trey was, <laughs> I, I thought, a kind of a 
an interesting aspect of this game was Trey was like really ambitious, especially in the third quarter offensively. He was kind of going for big plays. Maybe that's part of that is that a little bit of a sense of knowing that, hey, on, you know, on defense, you know, we can kind of get what we need on that end uh, and such. So for me, it's just getting everybody back. But something has really changed mentally too, whether that's just having more confidence in their defense, whether that's um, the rotation just, um, for for whatever reason, fitting better after the cam trade, um, you know, and have right kind of just slotting into a role that that, that just looks right now um, very comfortable and kind of measured for each individual player in the rotation and such. So it's it's you know it, the, the rotation stacks up really nicely right now, and and Nate is kind of you know having all of his bigs. We could kind of talk about that being right now Capella. Collins, Gallo, and Okongwu, uh, he's kind of mixing and matching, uh, which he he really hasn't been able to do until just like the last couple of weeks, you know, because of, you know, having key guys miss, missing. He, tonight we saw, you know, basically, I guess it was Collins and Gallo closed tonight, I, I, I think. Um, but in other cases, like Collins hasn't been part of the closing group. He's closed with Gallo and Capella, you know, he, and before – um, Akongu right now isn't coming into the game until about the second quarter, and he's he's liking to Nate is liking to see a lot of JC plus Gallo kind of quite a lot in the first quarter. So Nate is kind of mixing and matching, uh, and this just looks like a team that kind of um, you know is uh, you know finding their footing on defense, and also they just look like a team that like oh this is who we were last year when we were really winning games and really playing at a high level. Okay, if you kind of look around, it's mostly the same cast. So I think the familiarity is coming back uh, and such now that everybody's there. What else are you seeing besides what I, what I mentioned? I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was just tonight, but I, I think we've seen some better defense from Trey for maybe – five, six, seven games now. I mean, it's not 48 minutes of, of wall-to-wall defense, and I guess that's sort of reasonable given some of the attention that he gets when he's on offense. But, uh, right. you know, I would I would say back to that Miami game, you know, that you they kind of had to put Trey a little bit more on the point of attack with uh, with Gabe Vincent because they had to put Hunter on Butler. And you could just kind of see him, you know, doing some stuff in that kind of game. And, you know, in, in Miami and Boston, though, those are two teams that have played well recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can, you can just kind of see him finding at least, you know, some spurts where he kind of gets in a groove defensively. And, and when that happens, you know, there's just really not – not you know there you know you lose your your weak spots. Teams love to pick on the weak spot. Trey is always going to be the the person that tries to get targeted, and uh, you know when he's engaged and you know really bringing it on defense, uh, that's that's something that helps a lot. Yeah, I thought what was interesting tonight was, um, and you're right, it wasn't just what he showed tonight wasn't like the first time and didn't come completely out of the blue. Um, but when he was struggling offensively, turning the ball over, not making shots, struggling to kind of get an attacking goal that he can normally uh, find more easily, uh, for him to kind of just get more invested on the defensive end of the court, you know, he, 
took, took a charge. He, he had deflections. He was kind of, you know, really active, kind of digging in and, and stunting in, helping on ball handlers. Um, and that level of energy is just not always there. Sometimes I think he's just not bringing enough energy on the defensive end. Other times you have to, you know, you, I think you have to remind yourself how much workload, to your point, he carries on offense and trying to find what that balance is. Um, but, you know, there was a one possession tonight in the uh, third quarter I, on offense, I thought just jumped out at me. Trey had uh, turned the ball over, I think, two possessions in a row. And I think it was Gallo had the ball up, up high. It was looking to was looking to basically get into a DHO with Trey, kind of help get Trey get going. And Trey basically threw them into a pistol with Hunter and brought Hunter up and Trey set the first screen and let Hunter move into the DHO. And, and basically it was like, hey, why don't we run this through Hunter? I'm I'm not exactly, you know, you know, lighting the world on fire, you know, right now. Uh, and I just thought that's some maturity that we yeah. haven't uh, always seen, you know, from him. It's when you're the guy the team counts on, it's it's sort of a little bit natural to kind of put your head down and try to press, press, press. But now with everybody back, you'll even see some examples where the Hawks are playing with Trey off ball, uh, you know, when he's getting a, a ton of attention. Uh, from the opposing defense. So tonight you saw him take a few examples where, you know, he just kind of, um, you know, took control and was like, nope, I'm not going to come up and, you know, get into this DHO with you like I, I do 99% of the time or whatever. I'm going to, let's get into a pistol and bring DeAndre up and get him into the action and go from there. And I, and I think that has to make the rest of the guys feel good and feel involved and to get those touches and stuff. So, you know, it's easy to feel good about yourself when you're on a 16 winning streak and, uh, you know, there were still some pretty ugly stretches in the game tonight. Now Boston deserves some credit for how some of that, like, for example, the third quarter went. But I think the biggest difference, if I had to pick one difference, is that when things start going poorly, they're not losing their spirit. They're not, you know, becoming uh, defeated in, in a sense that, oh, that this, where this game is headed is inevitable. There's nothing we can do about it, which was kind of the body language and the, feel you got watching them just you know even three weeks ago you know especially when they're on that west coast road trip and and all that sort of stuff so that they just look like a, a team that has more more confidence collectively and um individually confidence in one another to kind of navigate the adversity that naturally comes up in any game yeah i think the the confidence, you know, late in fourth quarters or, you know, late in pivotal situations where you see them not sort of getting down. I think it helps that just the overall bench play is better. It's just, you, there's a certain mental aspect of, well, you know, it's, it's gone pear shaped for the last five minutes, but you know, the scoreboard is still in our favor, you know, and whereas, you know, if, if you had sort of the, the bench play of November, December, you know, you might be down five instead of up three. And I think it just helps them keep that mental edge to know that, hey, it's really not that bad because, you know, look at the scoreboard. And, and I think that that helps them a little bit. Yeah. And we saw so many examples where whoever the coach was, I mean, we, we saw, you know, uh, you know, several different assistant coaches, you know, take point in games and stuff. But you always get that sense like, oh, it's slipping. Do I bring Trey and other starters back early? Do I bring him at the eight or nine minute mark instead of waiting till the under seven, which is more typical? Um, and tonight it was Boston bringing their guys back, like at the nine, nine and a half minute mark, because they were 
um, afraid of digging a hole, it seemed like. And, it, and it's just, you know, for, for people rooting for the Hawks, it's just refreshing to see that it's not always them, that it's in the situation of like, oh, no, the second unit is really digging a bigger hole and it's going to be impossible. And so we have to kind of rush our guys back out. And there, there's been games since the last time we recorded, we've seen games where Nate really rolled a long time, you know, with the second unit and such. And it's just, uh, you know, it's nice to have units that have confidence and some continuity. And, and you know, and when I watch the game, it, it's not just a matter of like, oh, Lou and Galler are making shots. I have no idea what's gotten into the two of them <laughs> in terms of like, they look, you know, like, they look like they have new body parts or something or, you know, or, or I don't know what's going on, but like Gallo is like driving on got dudes and dunking on I, them. And... I've got some Gallo audio that I'm going to pin on the end of this podcast. I, look, I can't wait. I look forward to that. I haven't had a chance to work through post game yet, but, um, but it's not just like Lou and Gallo making shots that helps a ton, but what, what I see, and maybe this is kind of the, the coaching angle I, I tend to use when I watch games, it's, you know, when subs come in, whether that's first unit, second unit, second unit, back to first unit, whatever, your communication is consistent. The connectivity is consistent. The kind of the body language and the demeanor is consistent. There's not this um, kind of sense of fluctuating by who's on the court at what time and what happened the last two to three possessions. Uh, they stick with it and they keep working and they keep doing um, their thing. And, and that's just something that was uh, almost just completely, um, you, you know, just gone. I mean, a number of weeks ago, where it's just like sticking to the plan. It's like Trey would start trying to, you know, generate six or seven point possession somehow, and you know, kind of get them back in the game. And then everybody else is like, well, "What do I do?" I, you know, if I'm if I'm watching Trey kind of try to assert himself as leaders, you know, can do sometimes in games, especially younger ones and things like that. And and now it's just like let's focus on the possession. Let's focus on the task. And that's just the feel uh that i get um they're just in a much much better place mentally i I know that there's on twitter for example some conversation about well did the cam trade like was it that big of a deal for this team there's no way that uh you know explains even like half of what we're seeing here i don't want to say it didn't have an impact because when you you know change uh, the makeup of a group, the chemistry changes to some sort of degree and things like that. And like I said, I think that they were understandably trying to uh, get Cam opportunities that would, you know, help him developmentally and help him be able to kind of make an impact on games and things like that. But w- without Cam now, they they just, the rotation kind of just stacks quite naturally um, in, in a way that it didn't when they were trying to help him uh, kind of get going and, and find some consistency and such. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be the person that ever, you know, just was like, oh, my God, they had to get Cam out of here. And you see people that on Twitter. That's not how I feel at all. But I, I do think the rotation is just stitches together better now uh, than it did before the trade. Yeah, I can see some of both, like, especially as it relates to Gallinari. Like, we, I, I mentioned, you know, back in December, I think it was on the podcast, you know, I just thought that Gallinari and Reddish – didn't have a good chemistry together on offense in that bench unit. And, you know, you watch Gallinari now and, you know, there's like a whole different thing happening. Like when he's, his drives are completely different than his drives were two months ago. And I think it's a lot of factors like, you know, one, I think he just feels better physically. They're much more decisive. You know, he's, you know, if it's uh, if it's him attacking close, he just goes. Whereas two months ago it was okay. 
I'm going to go. And then after a couple of steps, I'm going to turn my back on you and I'm going to try to bang it a little bit further and bang it a little bit further. And then he just put, put up a shot and it was just, it was so slow. And so, uh, choppy you know there was just no flow that if if he got stuck he would trust his teammate to make the right play um and you just it, he, he doesn't have that now it's he's going to attack if he gets it great if not he's you know he's going to be looking to see where the next play on the court is and uh you know i think it's a lot of factors but i, I don't think it's unfair to say that some of it was cam reddish i know that when i went on the fast break breakfast podcast you know and he i think I think I, he was, uh, yeah, I think the host was kind of expecting me to kind of spill the tea on what was wrong with the Hawks. And, and I talked Keith about Cam for like all 10 minutes because, yeah. you know, he's asking what was wrong with the Hawks. And, you know, there was maybe six or seven things, but like you, you could get a different vibe. I mean, we, we talked right before the trade, you know, why are Cam's on off numbers just so abysmal when right. literally like no one else on the team has that same kind of, profile with their on off numbers and it's it's not insignificant so it's it's fair but it's not the only thing that's for sure right yeah and then you know we talk sometimes about Trey really needing and wanting to play with players that are predictable he knows where they're going to be they're where they're they're where he needs him to be able to make the pass you know if he's drawing a second defender to you know Trey's going to know exactly where to deliver the ball but there were times where Cam just wasn't there. And obviously some of these guys who were on 10 day contracts, you know, filling in for <laughs> guys in the protocol, that wasn't going to be realistic either. Gallo is sort of a similar way. Gallo wants to get to his spots to attack. Um, and if he um, has a guy up on him and wants to dribble past him, which I, I honestly maybe didn't know he could still do until these last few games, <laughs> But, you know, he doesn't want a person who's going to be right in the way or a person who's going to drag another defender down there. And, you know, when you see Lou, DeLon, Gallo, right now, you know, Bogdanovich and, you know, a really smart young player like a Kongwu, you know, they're not going to, you know, do something that kind of takes some space away from Gallo or takes Gallo's spot away, you know, from him. They're going to, they're going to work with him. They know how to do that. Um, and Cam just, um, you know, you know, even though he's not, you know, first or second year player anymore, like we've talked about the fact that he, he hasn't played a ton. And and he's kind of looking for a role that that unit just never, never was going to be able to kind of deliver, uh, you know, for him uh, and such. So it's, you know, I, I I thought it was pretty unlikely we'd see this Lou Williams this season, you know, for how, as long as he struggled. And then, uh, like we talked about, the stuff that Gallo's doing that's surprising right now. The shot making is great, and you know, having now having Bogey making shots on the second unit is great. Takes just takes a ton of pressure off the first unit that they don't have to go out and try to get a ten point lead the first five minutes of the game, and then try to hold on for dear life the rest of the way. So they they look like a competent you know team that's uh, above average you know in the conference, and that might sound underwhelming for where the expectations were, but that's a, that's a good place to be right now. They can maybe keep building from here and and start to look like one of the you know say five best teams in the conference if they can uh, you know keep putting in good work. One of the things that Nate said tonight, he was asked a question about, you know, what he might change up. And I think he kind (laughs) of said, things are going well, we're not changing anything. And then he kind of 
grown. He's like, oh, you're talking about bogey? He's like, yeah, we, we're not changing anything. So you know, it seems like Herter is going to stay as a starter, uh, which I kind of like. I like Herter's passing next to Trey for when the defensive attention ends up being one plus body on Trey, you know, one plus something, uh, certainly more than one at times. I think Herter's ability to keep the ball moving is, is valuable. Uh, what do you think about all that? What do you think about tonight? I know Bogey had the hot hand, but I was kind of bowled over with, with watching Herter play defense in the first half. Uh, I, what's your take on all this stuff? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's good. It's, you know, I got the sense, I don't know that I could quote anything, but last year I thought Boogie was pretty uninterested in playing on the second unit and that he felt pretty strongly about starting. That's just my connecting the dots on mild remarks here and there. I don't know that that was the case. He's been asked now, you know, I think it was uh, or middle of the week, you know, I think he was asked about it and he said, you know, hey, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, I'm fine playing off the bench and, you know, and those sorts of things. But I, I think Herter, he added a caveat. He kind of said also, I, you know, maybe over the summer, you know, you can feel differently. But right, right. now, you know, I just want to play and do well. Yeah. And, I, you know, that sounded a little strange. The way I interpreted that part of his comment was you want to know what your role is coming into a season and you want to right. feel good about what that role is. And you want there to be some clarity on, you know, what that is. Um but you get into a season like like right now where it's been such a, a mix of, you know, who's going to be able to play week to week across the season. Um, and now the Hawks just kind of have to find a plan that works and, and try to roll with that. It seems like it seems like that's at least right now that's where they are. But I think I think, you know, especially um, if Bogey might you know, be a little up and down with that knee the rest of the year. Having him coming in and out of the starting lineup is 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 really tough on the continuity. And then to your point, I think Herter gives them just uh, – he's a more versatile player. He does more things than Bogey does. And I think that helps. You know, he was flying around on defense tonight in the first half. Like you said, kind of he kind of set the tone on defense, I thought, for them uh, in the first half was really active and such. Um, but then, you know – the, when you look at like a team that is kind of functioning maturely, you know, Bogey got hot um, and, you know, they chose to close with him and Herder, you know, sat for, you know, most of the fourth quarter. I don't even remember how much of it he might have played there. Um, but, you know, part of that to me was I, I felt like Nate wanted to just kind of keep his bigger wings on the floor because they were kind of switching um one through four when Trey wasn't on, they, they try to avoid switching with Trey when he's on. So it kind of turned into two through four, but when you have, you know, Hunter and Bogdanovich um, kind of out there, the two and the three, that gives you some size to throw at Tatum. If Tatum was going to be the, the guy who was going to try to, you know, bring the Celtics back, but it's just a little bit more muscle, a little bit more strength than Herter has. Um, and, and Tatum, if he has an area of weakness kind of in his game, it is really is in, kind of dealing with physical and strong defenders. Um, and, you know, that's just something that, you know, Herder is. So it's it's nice to be able to, you know, for Nate, I imagine it's nice to be able to say, I need this more physical and stronger defender here, you know, um, rather than necessarily the guy who's going to, you know, chase someone over a million screens and stuff, and then you can roll the dice with Bogey, and Bogey helps you when he's making shots, you know. But 
the, there's going to be times we've seen before where Clint hasn't closed games. We've seen the, the past week where John hasn't closed games. We saw tonight where Herder hasn't closed games. And I think the kind of try to put a bow on this is, you know, when they're winning, it's easy for everyone just to accept whether they got to close the game or not, you know, or right. whatever number of minutes they got or didn't get, you know, that's much easier. Um, but it's, they look like a more mature, like a more men- mentally mature and psychologically mature basketball team when the right unit is on the floor and the guys who aren't on the court to close the game are totally fine. They're supporting their guys from the bench, cheering them on and all that sort of stuff. That's what I want to see. You know, when, when I watch a team that I'm rooting for is that type of uh, kind of you know, team and chip uh, kind of, kind of going on there. And they are, they do have nice contrasting styles. I, I mean, we've even seen not recently and, you know, maybe we'll talk about what's going on with Congo here in a minute, but We've seen a Kongu close games, you know, before, you know, when he really, you know, had it rolling and things like that. So there's, this is, I think this was the idea of this team coming into the season. And it's taken us all the way to this point to kind of see the depth and the versatility of the roster show up and help them win games. Um, you know, and we'll just have to kind of see if they can kind of keep this going, playing at a high level like this. Well, this is all too rosy and cheery. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a Statler and Waldorf reputation to uphold. Um, <laughs> the trade deadline is coming. Yes. Two weeks away, roughly. Uh, have you seen a John Collins trade that's made sense to you yet? No, I mean, I think it would have to su- really surprise me for that to be the case. Um, you know, the whole Jeremy Grant thing doesn't make sense. And Zach Lowe kind of threw water on that. Uh, on his podcast that came out either today or yesterday. Um, the like the Kings stuff, Kings, it seemed like they were in everything until recently, and now that's starting to sound a little bit differently and stuff. Dallas kind of is interesting, and not from the standpoint of that I think there's this obvious move for the Hawks, but if, if for some reason, and this is total speculation, like if you know, say John is frustrated and wants a different situation. Um, Dallas would be interesting for him. And you think Dallas would want to jump all over that because of how well John pairs with a pick and roll point guard, you know, and, and you know, to, to pair that, you know, with Luca would be incredible. What in the world could the Hawks get back from Dallas? I don't, I don't know. So no, I haven't seen anything that makes sense. I, I think I continue to think that having a guy who is elite rolling to the rim and finishing shots at the rim, and who was the bonafide, you know, 40%, you know, three-point shooter, lets you play with Clint. So Clint can die with John, John can stay on the perimeter, can play with Gallo, John can die. I mean, be careful, you know, tr- giving that away, because I would imagine trying to kind of recapture that if you find out that, like, wow, that was a really important part of what we do. But trying to find that again, and another different player would be, incredibly elusive in my mind so i i don't i i just really can't see anything sensible um around moving john unless it's sort of um a, a, like a top 10 player comes available you know you have to consider top that. 10 top 15 whatever number you want to pick i think it has to be a bigger number than that maybe like i don't know 20 you get okay i mean i just feel like if you like list 10 players you get to like the tenth player, and it's like Luca yeah, or somebody. Like, yeah, you, I didn't mean that as a firm threshold. Okay. I, I was just okay. kind of throwing a directional kind of out there. But gotcha. But but John's, you know, I mean, I, we don't have to do that, but he's 
easily top 40 player in the league in my mind, you know? And so, you know, what, what are you, what are you trying to kind of pull off here? I mean, the other part is um, you never know. I mean, to use an example, Philly right now seems to be making decisions and not do things based on what they could do after the season's over. Right. The Hawks are in an interesting situation from a cap, you know, in terms of their cap sheet and, you know, when do they want to potentially project themselves to go into the tax, et cetera, all that stuff. Right. And, you know, moving John's contract could be a, a like a domino that sets them up for something that they feel like they're going to do this summer. You know, so I, I mean, I don't know. So in terms of like trade, sending out talent and getting enough talent back, I don't see the, the trade that makes any sense to me. Um, if they're trying to kind of line up a set of things to set up their cap sheet to achieve something that's not really even on my radar right now, <laughs> then that's something I, I don't know how to project. But I can't really see where it just it makes any sense to send him out, you know, unless they're getting one of the best players in the league back. Yeah, I, uh, that's that's all works for me. I I still think that John's problem is just the generic power forward problem. I just think it's really <laughs> – it's really hard to be a power forward in this league. Like it's just, you know, just with the spacing and and the three point error, it's like, you've got to be able to do so many things well. And John does them well. And, you know, he's still, his role still sort of takes a cut from what it was a couple of seasons ago, but it's not like he's doing any of it badly. It's like, well, what, what do you want John to do better? It's like, well, I don't know. I, I kind of like him to be a little stouter in the post. I'd like, you know, people maybe not to, to back him down on occasion. Uh, it's a short list. You know, maybe you want a little bit more. Like, he, he's, he's gotten better as a passer. He's gotten better as a defender. He's gotten better as a shooter. We actually had a question. Actually, we should actually address our question. We had a question on Twitter, like, why can't John get up more three-point shots? I think at one point he was in the top ten in the league in terms of three-point percentage. Uh, right. Why is he a low volume shooter? Was the question. Yeah, I mean, so my answer there would be just that he can take what the defense gives you, and you know that's not always going to be there. Um, there are times when opposing defenses play small, and you want him attacking the rim, which is going to you know uh, reduce his three point volume. There's the other times where you kind of use him in the short roll. Um, and set up Clint in the bunker spot. So I, I think his versatility kind of works against, you know, him generating a, a much higher three-point volume. Um, if he played with a center that was, like, really dominant, you know, you know, kind of diving all the time, and, and Clint shows that from time to time, but, you know, his finishing uh, this year has not quite been where it was last year. It hasn't fallen off, I think, as much as sometimes it feels like when they're losing and he's missing easy shots. Um, but I just, I think it's his versatility, you know, um, that kind of erodes him from doing one thing over and over and over and over and over. And it kind of sucks for him in terms of like, I mean, most players have a goal of like making an all-star team and John has the kind of talent that wouldn't lead any, you know, most players to believe that that's something that he could achieve, but, you know, you really do have to kind of be a player that's doing, you know, one or two or maybe three things over and over and over and finding that consistency to go to those things to generate your numbers, generate your touches, generate your shots. And John's just going to have, John's just, you know, in a role where he's simply kind of fluid and react to what opportunities naturally present themselves as Trey puts stress on the defense. 
And so I just think it's almost impossible to like to draw out a template for like, okay, John, this, this is how we're going to, you know, generate specific opportunities for you in the next 10 games, next 15 games, whatever that is. You know, when you're talking about a Trey Young or, you know, other, you know, really elite offensive players, they're going to have that blueprint. But with John, it's like, what is the other team doing to try to contain Trey? And what does that open up for us? You know, so John's going to have to take what comes his way. And I think that that, some games that's going to give him five looks at the three-point line. Some games it might just be one, uh, but in the game where it's just one, he might get six or seven shots at the rim. But he's never—he's he, just never going to be a guy who generates twenty-five shot attempts. You know that's just not going to happen. You know, um, so I know that I answered kind of a, a bigger question than the uh, that was submitted there. But you know, obviously, feel free to kind of jump in with uh, you know your perspective there but i just I, you know it's, it's kind of like with kevin you'll see kevin have a game where he has 20 points and you know eight rebounds and five assists and you know, then he'll have a game where he has you know, f- you know four points and took six shots or whatever um because if, if the opposing defense can't contain trey trey's going to put up 27 shots or some crazy number you know and then everybody else's usage is going to kind of go down if the if a team can get the ball out of trey's hands that's going to open up opportunities for kevin but that's going to make Kevin look like some people who get frustrated with John or frustrated you know, at times with Kevin or whoever else are like, they're so inconsistent. They can't even put up 15 points a game, you know, consistently. You know, I hear that on Twitter all the time. It's like, guys, these are players who are, whose usage and whose kind of offensive volume and workload are going to be dictated by how effectively the other team can force the ball out of Trey's hands and into these guys' hands. It's, if Trey gets 38 points, you know, on 24, 25 shots or whatever, because the opposing defense couldn't do anything with him, that's going to leave the other guys with, you know, not much uh, usage to work with there. So that's, that, that's just kind of how um, good players, versatile players playing alongside Trey, it's going to go up and down in, in my view. What do you think? Yeah, I had sort of three things that kind of, I think in a lot of ways all all go together. But one is just that he's hasn't been shooting threes for very long. You know, he didn't shoot threes in college, and obviously he's put in a, a ton of work to sort of per- perfect it. But you know, I I don't know that he has sort of that. It's it's not like he's a shooting guard out there. I don't think he has that mentality of, you know, I've I've got to get this three up, and. You know, the other two things that I would put in, like I said, these I think these really all sort of go together is that you know, he doesn't have the, the quickest shot release right. from three. And, and you know, in a lot of cases, I think Nate wants the offense to be very deliberate. So if there's a, a pick and pop action and the, you know, the ball comes out to John sort of with a closeout coming his way after some sort of pick and pop and there's, there's 17 on the clock. You know, I think a lot of times what you'll see is he kind of go up with this sort of probing sort of it's kind of like his regular shot release, but he'll just kind of probe, see if he can get somebody up in the air and sort of take one long step and begin a drive to attack the closeout instead of just putting up a shot there. And, you know, that that's fine. That's good. Um, You know, you're 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 running good offense. You're probing. Uh, You know, there are there are places maybe where he could get up more shots, but I think he's he's trying to fit in the offense in the best way possible. And uh, you know, when, when he's attacking those closeouts off the dribble uh, you know, he's, he's obviously if, if somebody doesn't step up to, to, 
uh, stop him. You know, he can, he can shoot on the run. He's gotten much better as a passer, sort of just inside the free throw line area. He's seen the floor better there. I think it's it's all good. Uh, maybe you could get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a shot volume, but I, I think he's doing well, and I think he's sort of doing uh, what fits with his role and what fits with with what sort of Nate wants out of this. Yeah, I mean the the contrast there to your point about sort of how efficient his shooting form is is, is Gat with Gallo. It's like everything is so effortless. I mean, it's just so incredibly effortless. And, you know, and there aren't many guys, you know, that are 6'10 that, that have that kind of shooting equity, you know, that Gallo has and things like that. But, you know, you, you think you know, an obvious example there is like Dirk, you know, right. um, just everything was just effortless. In the area. And that's not how it is with John. You know, John doesn't have nearly There's, there's a wind length. up there. Right. And, he's, and he doesn't have a lot of length, you know, but he's an incredible athlete and there's a ton of fluid athleticism, even that works with his powerful athleticism. And I mean, I, I, sometimes I try to imagine like, well, how would I play if I could go basically dunk on 97% of the defenders in the league and, you know, knock down 40% of my three point shots. How do you process your decisioning when a defender's, you know, running at you? And if you were to pull like the average NBA coach aside or a number of NBA coaches aside, what they really want to see in offense Drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. And that's, they want their threes to come from that drive and kick, collapse the defense, kick it out and get that open, comfortable three. And when John is contributing to that, that's good. It may not be good for his numbers and it may leave you feeling like he could do more at times. But when it comes to keeping the, he's so, you mentioned a minute ago, but he's so much better at helping move the basketball now than he was a year or two years ago, especially. Um, he's a better ball handler um, than he was. He has a you know, much better court vision than he was. And that's, in my mind, is way more important of a contribution uh, for him to provide offensively than to try to get, you know, 30% more shots up at the three-point line or what have you. Um, so, um, you know, I don't view three-point volume as a problem at all, you know, for him. Um, if Gallo weren't on this team, you might feel like we need to generate more three-point shots from you know quote stretch bigs but that's one of the values of having gallo there's gallo can handle a ton of that for you you know and as we see gallo will play with cabela gallo play with jc gallo sometimes will play with akangu and that's just i don't i I don't think hawk fans understand how unique that mix of their fours and fives are i mean it it really is you know it it obviously wasn't working for them very, very well this year until recently but when those four guys are kind of, you know, doing what they typically do, not even necessarily playing exceptionally or anything like that, but that is that is a such a complimentary set of four players. Uh, and and JC is just kind of fitting fitting in. I, I know it's you know the podcast he did with Sarah and comments he's made about wanting you know more and things like that. You know, I, I'm sure part of you know, he'll say like I want to help the team more, and I think. That I have no reason to think that isn't sincere. You know, everything I know about him tells me that he's, you know, that we could trust he's being sincere. But I think another part is just like any athlete of his stature is I want to show what I can do, you know, and that's, that's not a negative quality, you know, in my mind, if you start doing things that detract from, you know, the team's performance, because you're, you know, overly focused on, you know, your own kind of individual opportunities, that's different, but I don't think we've ever seen that, you know, from him. So, I don't think the team needs more three-point volume from John. 
Uh, yeah. Know. And I would add that, you know, I've actually, you know, there were times last year where it was, there were, there were, in, I definitely remember some instances where it's like, oh, John's got to shoot that. Like he would kind of gag right. on it and then you could kind of see him just kind of freeze in the moment, like, oh, that was a missed opportunity. But I haven't really seen that lately. Like it, it's all no. much more in the flow of the offense. And, uh, I think that is actually a noticeable difference. And I don't know if his volume has gone up from last season or not, but I, I do feel like some of those opportunities he's picking much better than he used to. I think he used to miss some of the open shots and I think he's, he's done a good job picking between when should I shoot and when should I sort of attack the closeout with a dribble. Totally. Yeah. And like, I, it's an, and it's also tonight, the, the Hawks have the number two. offense, in Right. The NBA. Well, and then, and then tonight, I mean, to talk to, to speak of kind of game to game match with the matchup, what they need from him is going to be different tonight. They really fed him in the, on the, on the left block yeah. because, you know, he kept getting matched up with whether it was Langford or, you know, Jalen or, you know, whoever. Um, and he, he went to work, you know, in this game on those possessions when, you know, the Celtics were really throwing bigger defenders at Trey, and and that's what they needed from him. So, you know, you know, I've been watching the NBA for a long time. You know, and I know you have too. But when you see, when you watch over a long time, different players that say average twenty five a game, and you have a chance to watch them over and over, they're going to the same spots over and over. They're going to the same stuff over and over. They believe in that. They know they can get to it. They know it works for them. They know they can do it over and over. And that's just not what John's ever going to be, ever, in my mind. He's going to be a guy that can play off Trey excellently, exceptionally. And sometimes that's going to be eight points in a game. Sometimes that's going to be 22 points in a game, you know. But, uh, you know, I, it, that's, just, that's just kind of how the, you know, the NBA works. If you watch, say, you know, back in the day, a Mark Aguirre kind of do his thing, you know, down – you know, on the post, so same moves over and over, getting the same spots over and over. And it's a defense to throw something different at him. He would tweak a little bit, but it was the same stuff. If you watched that Adrian Dantley, if you watch you know, whoever, you know, the guys were back in the day that kind of, you know, were really repetitive and how they got you, you know, 25 to 30 points. That's just not who John's ever going to be. And to your point earlier, it's the current game demands so much of power forwards. You've got to be able to make shots from the perimeter. You've got to be able to, when the other team is playing small, a small lineup, go in and kind of, you know, muscle your way to the rim. John can give you, you know, both of those things and more, but that's not going to lead you to a guy who's going to average 25 a game ever, ever. Unless he's playing on an eight win team and gets all the shots you know, a, a person could get, you know? So, yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about tonight? More wins, quicker podcasts. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> do you feel like this keep they keep it going? Or do you think there's risk they're gonna get quote bored again? Or I mean I, the third, I the third never, quarter, they 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 look like they were taking some things for granted in the third quarter. It's not like these games are clean start to finish, you know. Yeah, the how, bench, how are you feeling about it? I them? think the bench ran out a little bit of gas, like they've yeah. been kind of riding the wave and I thought maybe there, you know, talking about her before, I thought maybe there was an opportunity to kind of slip Kevin early and, uh, yeah, you know, maybe put him out there with the bench unit to just give it a little bit of juice when it was starting to lag a little bit. But no, I mean, I, I never like to put stock in Sunday 1 p.m. games. Good, 
golly, like who who knows? You got the Lakers, they they rested LeBron at AD tonight. It's so early, it's so out of the norm. I I don't know. Day day games are weird. Uh this is I, I think I mean is... I, I think the trend here though is that you know if you look like over the next five games, do I think the Hawks will do okay? Yeah, I, I think they're gonna do okay. Yeah. Like I, I think they're they're you know, unless somebody gets hurt, they're they're you can see the health showing in the depth. You can see the the depth changing the result a little bit. And, you know, there may be one or two guys that uh, who start trending the opposite direction. But I think overall the Hawks are playing well enough that they're going to ride some of that out as they yep. continue to play in this homestand. Yeah, agreed. And as much as people might be frustrated that Jalen and Sharif aren't playing – there's nobody in their rotation getting developmental minutes right now. Not there's none of that. They, they mean, are in college park, like college park had a, a buzzsaw kind of game tonight. Like they played a lot of savvier, older guys tonight with, right. with Jalen and Sharif with the Hawks. And it's like, you know, Jalen and Sharif are, are figuring it out, but like the, they, you saw some older guys in college park tonight and they kind of kick butt. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how basketball works. That's how professional basketball works. There's and a learning why, curve. There is. And that's why like with the G league, you know, the, the teams they had in LA, you know, last year, like freaking Amir Johnson played on that team, you know, to, to give, you know, some, you know, experience, you know, into those young ball handlers and things like that. So that's just kind of how the world works, but it, you know, there's everybody's healthy right now. I'm playing knock on wood. And right now there's no need at all to try to kind of have a secondary goal or whatever of developing a young player. They've got, you know, their, their 10 or whatever players are going to play game in game out right now. It's working. It's, you know, it's um, they're feeling good about it. um, And they should just keep doing this. They're, they're a good team. You know, can they make up enough ground in the standings to dig up, up past a play in? I don't know. You know, we're we're just gonna kind of see how things go. Um, but but they're a good team. They're one of the better teams uh, in the Eastern Conference when they're like when they're this, when everybody's there and the um the depth and the versatility are kind of all showing up and, and working for them. They're good, you know. Let's hope that they keep it going. But it'll it'll be interesting to see that there will be there's adversity on the horizon. That's just how it works. And it will be interesting to see how they deal with adversity, um, whatever kind of next you know adverse thing hits them and do they work through it more efficiently uh and more professionally or, or what words you might want to choose and then maybe they have earlier in the season you know we'll see but uh, i remember saying on this podcast not long ago they're gonna be fun to watch again and here we are so very good well i appreciate you taking the time late on a friday night to do this uh always a pleasure to uh, chop it up with you kevin <laughs> Have a good night. And you. What's the key to the chemistry between Lou and Onyeka? You're out there with them. It seems like, you know, they do well separate, but when they're out there together, it's like a uh, Well, they, they talk They talk a lot. Uh, and so Lou is helping all a lot uh, since last year, too, to, uh, to help him out, to tell him where to be and the positioning and the footwork uh, that he has to have, especially when they play that pick and roll. And, and you know, Lou is, is, is a great player, uh, and so just by all listening to him, uh, it makes they make their life easier. How is 
Uh, it was it was great. It was amazing. It was great to see him uh, back with uh, with that kind of energy and confidence, and uh, especially you know with the, with the second unit playing a lot of minutes together. We like it, uh, and so you know I'm sure that he's going to give us that uh, every game. I don't know if the lineup is going to change. He's going to go back to the starting lineup. I don't know, uh, but uh, I'm happy that he's back and he played a great game. It seems like every dunk you've had this season, but one has been like the last couple weeks. What, what, what's the dunk, where's the dunking spirit coming from? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I do know, but I cannot really tell you about <laughs> the, the, the dunk that I had, uh, not yesterday, but a couple of games ago, there was some betting going on just in the team. Uh, but um, but no, nah, I mean, it was... I mean, it was just a fast break. Uh, you know, we, we that's something that we've been doing a better job with. Talking about, you know, the team is fast break. We, are, we were not one of the best teams in getting points, fast break points. Now we're getting better with that. And it just happened that I was one of the guys that was running for the fast break. Nobody was there. And I don't know. That, that, those things happen that I, I don't know why. So, yeah, Coach had actually kind of gave it away a little bit last night that he said there was a lot of talk on the bench among the guys when it was coming to these dunks that we were seeing. So is it some, like, fun play that you guys made? Like, you can't dunk, I can, or what's kind of going yeah, on? Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Especially, you know, all the guys, uh, they're giving, they're talking to me and Lou being the, the old guys of the team that we cannot do this, we cannot do that, we cannot dunk, we cannot do that. Uh, so I cannot keep telling them to go on YouTube and check out all my career, what I've done. So I got to show them sometimes. And so yesterday was just a good, a good show.